Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It is Wednesday, February 24. I'm Tom Tilly, and today we're going to brief you on Crown Casino's big troubles. Uh, we'll find out how they've ended up with a big fancy casino in Sydney that they're not allowed to open. There was a great deal of um, elite discussion between people like James Packer, the, the, the Premier of New South Wales at the time, Barry O'Farrell, and Alan Jones. It was a stitch-up, if you like, between powerful people who thought this sounded like a good idea. The Crown Casino stitch-up. That's our briefing topic in just a moment. First, we're going to hit the news with Sally Spicer. Hey, Tom, and I hear that you've got a new title, uh, briefing co-host and Daft Punk enthusiast, is that right? (laughs) Yeah, after our conversation about the breakup of Daft Punk yesterday, I got a call from the project saying, "Um, Tom, we heard you getting really emotional about the end of the French duo. Um, (laughs) Do you want to come and comment (laughs) on the show? So then I was subtitled on the show as Daft Punk um, mega fan. Good expert area. Reaching new heights. All right, let's hit the news. First news about a special but testy friendship. Well, Facebook has refriended Australia and Australian news will be restored to the Facebook platform. And Facebook has committed to entering into good faith negotiations with Australian news media businesses. That was Treasurer Josh Frydenberg announcing a breakthrough in the standoff with Facebook five days after it wiped Aussie news from its platform. After a series of calls with Mark Zuckerberg, the government made changes to its media bargaining laws that would force the tech giants to pay for local news. Yeah, and there are what could be seen as some pretty big concessions from the government here. It's agreed that the code which carries those massive penalties won't be applied at all if Facebook signs enough deals with local media companies. And if it is going to be bound by the code, it'll get a month's notice. On top of that, Facebook revealed it's still got the option to go nuclear and pull all news from the platform at any time so that it won't automatically be subject to a forced negotiation. Yeah, and it also came out yesterday, Sal, that Facebook already had a, a deal with Seven, so they are moving very quickly in this space. And there's a, a bit of a debate about um, who's blinked first in this game of chicken. It's been quite a fascinating negotiation. Yeah, it's a bit of a strange one. News should be back in the coming days. Um, You know, I've heard some commentary that the government was the first to blink, considering that these powers do give Facebook, uh, I suppose, a lot more bargaining power in the sense that it still does have the power to pull all the local news if something happens that it doesn't like. But at the same time, the government's going to be saying that the whole point was to force it into these deals with media companies. So, you know, I imagine we will hear from the government that this is a win. And the federal government's being criticised for not increasing JobSeeker by enough. It's a government that shows that it lacks humanity, that is completely out of touch with the reality of what it's like if you're on a low income and you are desperately trying to get a little bit of work and to make ends meet. That's Dr Cassandra Goldie from the Australian Council of Social Services. Yeah, Scott Morrison announced yesterday that the base payment will go up by $50 a fortnight after the coronavirus supplement ends at the end of March. That works out to an increase of around $3.50 a day on the old rate of $40 a day. We are now moving. I said every day would become more normal. Moving back to a, a normal safety net arrangement is part of that normalising process but we're ensuring that it's set at a base that we believe is appropriate going forward. Yeah, you can buy an extra coffee a day. It's nowhere near the increase that a lot of people um, from business as well as social services were calling for. And as part of the announcement yesterday, they also um, revealed that job searching obligations are going up as well. People will need to apply for 15 jobs a month from April 
And the government's also uh, launched a new employer hotline where bosses can dob in prospective workers who turn down a job offer. Here's Social Services Minister Anne Rustin. Australians are more than happy to support people with um, with payments when they find themselves out of work. But I think equally there's an expectation. If you are able to undertake the job and there's no reason why you can't, I think Australians expect that people will take up that job. Yeah, it's being um, branded um, dob seeker sale. God, it's, it's controversial increasing it by only $3.50 a day and then introducing that as well. One that uh, I don't know that charity groups and welfare groups that were calling for this increase were ever going to take that well. Controversial MP Craig Kelly has quit the Liberal Party and become an independent so he can speak, quote-unquote, frankly and fearlessly. Two weeks ago, he'd been reined in by the PM for doing exactly that. Uh, He'd been spruiking unproven coronavirus treatments on Facebook. We had a discussion a couple of weeks ago, as you'll be aware. I set out some very clear standards and he made some commitments that I expected to be followed through on. He no longer felt that he could meet those commitments, but I can tell you, my standards don't change. Yeah, so Kelly says he's going to continue to support the government in all matters of supply and confidence and any policy that they took to the last election. Because the government has a pretty small majority in the House of Reps, this is going to make it harder to pass legislation. They're now down to a one-seat majority, but that includes Speaker Tony Smith, and he can only cast a vote if there's a 50-50 deadlock. So if a couple of crossbenchers go against the government, then they're going to have some real problems getting legislation through here. Yeah, it's not great news for the government, and it will be interesting to see what it means for Craig Kelly's future. I imagine this would make it very unlikely that he win pre-selection for his seat now that he's angered the party so much, which means, you know, he might be out of parliament at the next election unless he runs for the Senate potentially. It was interesting to note that Matt Canavan and Barnaby Joyce from the Nationals um, flagged their interest in recruiting him to their party, although his seat is in suburban Sydney, so it doesn't really seem like a natural fit with the Nationals. No, not quite. And Buckingham Palace has revealed that Prince Philip is in hospital for an infection but it's not COVID. Yeah, there were concerns that it was something serious after Prince Charles drove several hours to visit him over the weekend. Philip's youngest son, Edward, told Sky the 99-year-old is doing well, though. Well, I did speak to him the other day, so he's, he's, he's a lot better, thank you very much indeed. And, and, uh, so, and he's looking forward to getting out, which is, which is the most positive thing. So we keep our fingers crossed. Yeah, that's good news. Um, Prince Philip and the Queen have been vaccinated, so it's unlikely they'll be hospitalised by COVID. So obviously it's something else, but we don't know exactly what. Yeah, you'd be worried about a 99-year-old going into a hospital in the UK at the moment, considering how rampant it is. Yeah, you'd be worried if you were his grandson as well over the other side of the Atlantic. Um, Bit of a tough time for Harry. Yeah, we'll look forward to seeing their interview on Oprah very soon. Um, Thank you, Sal. In just a moment, I'll take you into The Trouble at Crown. You will have heard that Crown Casino has been in the news a lot lately, and that's because it's in a massive crisis. Right as it was about to open its $2 billion casino in what's now Sydney's tallest skyscraper, Barangaroo, the company has been brought to its knees. James Packer's Crown Casino empire is in crisis mode. Deemed unsuitable to run the $2.2 billion Barangaroo Casino in Sydney. The chair was arrogant. There are issues with corporate governance, deficient risk management, poor corporate culture. A total shock to me. Crown Chief Executive Ken Barton has resigned. Two of his directors have resigned. Set to face an independent inquiry in Western Australia. The Victorian government has called a royal commission. So as you can hear there, Crown's in an absolute shambles. And it's not just in Sydney, but since the revelations in New South Wales, the WA government has announced an inquiry into its Perth casino 
And two days ago, the Victorian government announced a Royal Commission into Crown's massive operation at Southbank. So in this briefing, what is going on with Crown and will they have to shut down their casinos in Perth and Melbourne? Nick McKenzie's the investigative reporter for The Age and 60 Minutes and he was the journo that uncovered the damning revelations that were then confirmed in the Bergen inquiry that stopped the Barangaroo Casino going ahead. So Nick, take us back. Can you explain what Crown have been doing wrong? When high rollers come to Crown's Perth or Melbourne casinos and they were meant to be coming to Crown's Barangaroo Casino in New South Wales, most of them come from Asia and most of those come from China. These are called whales. Sometimes they're gambling tens of millions of dollars in a single session. Now, they need credit. They need money. Chinese law makes it illegal to bring large amounts of money outside of China. So these businesses called junkets or high roller tours are set up and they provide credit for these large whales. They give them the money to gamble. They'll arrange for them to have private charter jets to Crown's properties uh, and they'll organise, you know, their recreation and other bits and pieces. The problem is that lots of these junkets are secretly controlled by Chinese organised crime, not known as the triads. The money that they're lending these whales is actually uh, often alleged drug money. Uh, and if that money's not paid back, the other thing these junkets do is stand over people to pay the money back. So they use violence and force uh, to get their debts repaid. So Crown was going into partnership with these sorts of businesses and and therefore the risk that Crown would be money laundering, i.e. passing drug money through their casinos, the money that had been lent to these high high rollers, these whales, uh, was great. And, and indeed, that's exactly what was going on. What, what the Bergen Inquiry in New South Wales found was that there were significant money laundering vulnerabilities uh, and risks within Crown and that senior management should have known about this. Uh, sometimes they did, sometimes they didn't, um, but they certainly weren't doing enough to combat it. And this practice led to a, a number of their staff being locked up in, in China. That was clearly a shocking part of the story too. That's right. So Chinese law not only prevents someone taking a large amount of money outside of China, but also bans people from leaving China to gamble offshore if it's being done as part of a tour. So if, if large groups of people are, are being organised to go offshore and gamble, be it in Australia or Macau or wherever else. That's uh, illegal. Now, Crown knew its staff in China were getting large groups of people to come to Australia to gamble. In fact, Crown was telling its staff to do that. Its staff in China were saying, well, hang on a second, isn't that illegal? You're putting mm. us at risk of, uh, of getting arrested. And time and time again, Crown was warned that, that what it was doing was putting these staff at risk. And time and time again, Crown said, well, stuff that, um, you've got to keep bringing the, the whales and then millions of dollars to Australia. And ultimately, uh, 17 or so Crown staff did get arrested. They were raided by the Chinese police. Some of them were jailed for stints of time, extremely traumatic. And ultimately, again, what the Bergen Inquiry in New South Wales found was Crown should have known it was putting its staff at risk. And Crown should have known that by doing so, it meant that some of them would, would be arrested or could be arrested. And this was simply really bad company practice. How long did it take for this to unravel? Because this all happened after Crown had been um, approved to build this casino in Sydney. Back in 2019, I did a story with the age of the Sydney Morning Herald and 60 Minutes where we really sort of laid bare the worst of the worst. And that's what triggered the Bergen Inquiry in New South Wales, which looked at all our allegations, said that they stood up and found a host of all. Uh, as a result of what Bergen found, the judge Patricia Bergen uh, earlier this year, 
yeah, she basically found Crown was unfit to hold a casino license in New South Wales, which led to obviously people in Victoria and Western Australia going, well, if Crown can't hold a license in New South Wales because of the conduct it's engaged in in Victoria and Western Australia, how on earth can it hold licenses in those states? And the result of the asking of that question, I guess, is where we're at today. So do you think the state governments of Western Australia and Victoria have gone far enough in, in launching these inquiries, or do you think they should actually halt the operations of Crown casinos in their states? Well, it's a good question. I mean, arguably, if the New South Wales uh, gaming regulator and a senior judge and, and her inquiry have found that Crown is unfit to hold a licence in New South Wales, how on earth could it be that it's fit to hold a licence anywhere else? Can Melbourne really shut down Crown? Wouldn't That would clearly have a massive impact on the city. That's right. So the argument is Crown's too big to fail. Mm. But that said, there are ways that Crown can reform in a way that would or could allow it to continue operating and retain its licence free Mm. of criminal infiltration. So the Bergen Inquiry has already said Crown's got to remove or clean up much of its board. They're the senior uh, directors who are in charge of of overseeing the company, its operations. Four board directors have resigned recently. Uh, That's a good thing. Mm. Several senior managers of Crown are out the door. That's a good thing. James Packer's influence in the company has been watered down significantly. That's a good thing. Of course, if ultimately Crown's not fit to run the casino, it wouldn't be the casino would shut down. Still, it's still a vibrant um, money-generating place. It would be that, I presume, another company, be it a listed company or a private gaming company, might take it over. The other big question will be how fundamental those dodgy practices were to their business model. Can these casinos be profitable without those clients from Asia? It's a significant chunk of their revenue, the money, the, the high roller or the big whale money from Asia. It makes life obviously less profitable without those those huge amounts of money rolling across the tables. Although it's not, you know, there's lots of other revenue being generated by, by Crown as well. So, and there, there are ways to, to run a high roller business that greatly lessens the exposure to organised crime. Given the way this has panned out, what do you make of the original decision to grant the licence in Sydney and the way that decision was made with no public tender process? Well, it stunk, you know, and I think there's a history of Crown getting casino concessions, casino licences behind closed doors with lots of controversy. Now, you know, people have their different views ultimately about whether there should be a casino at all. And many argue the social harms with gambling, not just with pokies, but with the risk of organised crime, money laundering through the wealthier tables, you know, it's just, it's just too great. But others love casinos. Others love having a punt. So if you're going to have a casino, at the very least, make sure the tender process is an open one. Let's have some daylight. Let's not do this as a deal behind closed doors. That's not an accountable and clean way of doing business. Uh, and so the public deserves better. Where do you see James Packer in this now, he must be in a world of pain. This was his his business baby. He, you know, he split up his father's company, sold off the media arm, and went big on on casinos. And now he's having to sell down his stake to under ten percent. And he's had to publicly, you know, talk about his bipolar and his own bad management practices. Where's this all going for him? He's fabulously wealthy, um, and he stuffed up. And uh, for too long, wealthy people. Uh, when wealthy corporations aren't held to account. So um, I, I welcome the scrutiny and ultimately it's on him. Um, he, he stuffed up and uh, he was too powerful and now he's uh, he's made his bed, he's lying in it. And, uh, and I think it's actually really good for most Australians to see 
see a, a big corporate player being held to account. That's Nick McKenzie, investigative reporter for The Age and 60 Minutes. Now, we've also managed to get an interview with the head of the New South Wales Casino Liquor and Gaming Authority at the time the Sydney Casino was approved back in 2014. His name is Chris Sidoti, and since the Bergen Review came out earlier this month, he's come out with some very frank statements, including regrets of his own about not investigating Crown further when they were looking at the licence, and also some other very frank opinions, as you're about to find out. Chris, in terms of the Barangaroo proposal, where did this all go wrong? There was a great deal of um, elite discussion between people like James Packer, the, the, the Premier of New South Wales at the time, Barry O'Farrell, and Alan Jones. It was a stitch-up, if you like, between powerful people who thought this sounded like a good idea. And that's really not the way in which government should proceed. It's against all the principles of good governance, in fact, to have that level of um, lack of transparency, lack of accountability, and particularly for something as important as this. Was this a failure by the Premier at the time, Barry O'Farrell? It's a big call to ask me that question, but um, I'll answer yes. (laughs) Yes, that's the answer. So where did, well, where did he go wrong? That's my opinion. Well, you're out of the job now. You can you can be really frank about this. I imagine it would have been a bit harder to talk about it at the time. It was. That, that was not my responsibility at the time. And uh, to be perfectly frank, nobody in the media asked me. Uh, I, I may have expressed a view at the time if I'd been asked, but I certainly didn't consider it my responsibility to volunteer an opinion uh, on something that was outside my responsibility and my legislative mandate uh, at a time when I had other responsibilities. So let's hear it now. Where did Barry O'Farrell go wrong? Well, I've indicated that, I guess, um, by the earlier Mm. answer. Uh, It should have been a public process. There should have been a public investigation on whether it was a good idea to have a second casino. And if, in fact, that investigation found yes, then there should have been a public call for tenders for the operators. So you said you regret not being able to do a a more thorough investigation along the lines of what we've seen now from the Bergen inquiry. Did you not have the power to do that in your role? And is that a problem with the system that the Liquor and Gaming Authority doesn't have enough investigative powers when assessing these kind of proposals? Um, I did have the power or the authority had the power of which I was a member. uh, And we decided at the time that it wasn't necessary. That's what I regret. And I have to take responsibility for that. We conducted a very thorough investigation Um, But I I do have to wonder now, in light of what Commissioner Bergen has found, uh, about whether we could have found out more. And I really am concerned that there may have been parts of the culture that we missed when we conducted our investigation. So what do you think about its operations in Perth and Melbourne? Do you think they'll need to change dramatically? Do you think maybe even those casinos will need to be shut down? I I have to say I'm, I'm dumbfounded that there has been no move to suspend the licences in Melbourne and Perth pending the thorough investigations that are being conducted. Crown is not yet operating in New South Wales. So so nothing about her findings relates to operations in New South Wales. It's all about Victoria and Western Australia. And I can only consider the responses from those states as to Crown's operations now as being totally inadequate. That was Chris Sidoti, head of the New South Wales Casino Liquor and Gaming Authority from 2008 to 2016. Crazy story. The moving parts to watch now are whether James Packer can actually sell down his stake in the company, given it's in such dire straits. And also what happens to these other casinos? Will they be able to get Sydney up and running? And will they have to make massive changes or even shut down Perth and Melbourne? 
Tomorrow on The Briefing, could climate change ruin Australian summer sport? Listener.